if you're thinking, I hate war, there should never be war. The, the scripture agrees with that. God does not support the concept of war. But here's the issue. There are always going to be ruthless tyrants on the earth. And we need to defend the weak and the innocent from them. So it becomes necessary, as Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for every pers- uh, purpose under heaven, a time for peace and a time for war. The people of Canaan are unbelievably murderous. And that's why God is sending Israel in to conquer them. Uh, they are destroying all of their neighbors. They are killing and murdering their own children as human sacrifices to the gods they worship. God has sent his messengers to them repeatedly to try and stop this behavior. And now it's finally come down to Israel is going to be sent in to drive them out of the land and conquer them so that this wickedness will stop. Joshua chapter 2 verse 1 says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. Uh, You see as we move forward that these two men that Joshua sends are completely cooperative with his desires, right? Back in Numbers chapter 13, Joshua and Caleb were part of the group that was originally sent in to spy the land, and there were 10 other men with Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb are the only two that come back with a positive report. Everyone else says they are giants, they're militaristic, we're nothing but slaves, they're going to kill us all. In fact, he said, we're like food for them. They're just going to eat us up. There is no hope. That disheartening message discourages the entire nation of Israel, and they refuse to enter in. Joshua apparently has been looking for two guys that already have a victorious mindset. You know, maybe they're saying things like, we know that they're giants. We're going to stab them in the knees. And when they bend over, we're going to stab them in the head. Or we're going to, you know, they, they just, they got this mindset like we can do it. We're going to win. We're not going to fail in this situation. You know, when they sent in these men previously, the discouragement affected and infected everyone. Continuing in verse 1, So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. Now, for clarification, um, they went to her house not to hire her and participate in her business and sin. Okay, They went to her house because it was very common to be able to get a room from a woman such as this. And with that, people wanted their business kept secret if you were in this establishment. So they're looking for a place of, where can we go? And basically, no one's going to report us. No one's going to pay attention to us. They're They're looking for the seedy underbelly of the community a place where they can just sort of skulk around and not be noticed this way. 
Verse 2 says, And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So we see here in the scripture and in this passage and supportive efforts from history that the king of Jericho was very well informed. He's got spies everywhere. He's got people on the payroll everywhere. And news is going to get around. They don't look like everyone else. They're Hebrews. They have a look that is Hebrew. They're in the land. They're going to be identified quickly as foreigners. Watch. They also know, right? I mean, if, if you're thinking like, you know, couldn't they have come in more secret? Well, keep in mind, right? There is still a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud over Israel. Jericho is visible from the encampment, which means the encampment is visible from Jericho. Uh, so it's a fairly plain understanding that Israel has arrived. It's, it's not as though Israel, I had no idea. Where are they? You, you may have noticed the pillar of cloud and fire right over there, you know. You know, a couple million people show up and set up their tents, and there's a, a, a glow in the air at night. If you missed the cloud, you certainly would notice the glow at night, right? So now they're watching, they're aware that they've come in, and they're searching out the land. Verse 4, then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, yes, the men came to me. But I did not know where they were from. Okay, straight up lie. All right. Now, some pastors want to just quickly move over this because this is to some degree the scripture endorsing lying. Okay. And it's an uncomfortable thing for pastors to talk about. Look, the scripture is very clear that as believers, we should be especially truthful people. But when it comes down to worshiping the Lord and obeying the Lord versus following and obeying the government, especially when it comes to issues of life and death, the scripture very much supports these individuals. As I read through the commentaries, uh, there are several that are saying, well, you know, if you had met Rahab in following years after she became more mature, certainly she never would have lied. I think she probably would have been more prone to lying in order to protect these men who had come from Israel. Right? Consider for just a moment. In the book of Exodus, while the nation of Israel is captive to the Egyptians, the Egyptian king has said, I want you to kill all of the male children that are born to your families. The midwives who take care of the birthing process are allowing the children to live. The king gets word of it, calls them in. They look him straight in the face and lie and say, we want to obey your orders, we really do, but boy, these Hebrew girls are just so hardy, you wouldn't even believe it. Like, before we get there, they're giving birth, and they're hiding the children by the time we show up. We have really no idea where these kids are. They're the ones that are birthing these children. They're bold-faced lying to the king. And the scripture records that the Lord blessed their households as a result. They're protecting and preserving the lives 
of the innocent. All throughout history, we've seen this. When believers are faced with, do I betray someone that's weak and innocent uh, and obey the murderous, tyrannical dictates of an individual or a government? Uh, The people who follow the Lord's will as the greater and protect those lives are always blessed by the Lord, right? I think we all understand with even a, a, a small degree of Christian maturity that the Lord isn't saying to you, yeah, so you know, lie to your boss about you know, how many hours you've worked or lie to the police officer about how fast you were going or law. He's not endorsing lying. What we're seeing here is that there's a higher law, the law of life, the law of freedom, the law of death. God wants these men in the nation of Israel protected. <clears throat> she lies to them. Didn't know where they were from. It happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. They just left. <laughs> if you go now, I'm confident you'll be able to catch up to them. I'm telling you, they're barely out of sight. Is, is the way that she's uh, you know, approaching this. It's just get off my doorstep is what she's saying. You, know, you guys need to leave now. If you wait at all, you're going to hesitate. You're going to miss these guys. Uh, so she's lying bold face. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax. You may want to underline that statement, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. So they let the search party out of the city and then closed the gate. It's a security measure to know who's coming in and who's going out of the city. Now, this statement about the stalks of flax, it's going to come into play in at least one way as we move forward in this study. But it's important for us to see what perhaps is going on in this woman's life. Okay, We're going to hear some confessions from her in just a moment that indicate that she is a very strong believer in the God of Israel. She's going to make praiseworthy statements about the God of Israel as someone who is subject to the Lord, who is worshiping the Lord. So in this... The stalks of flax laid in order is a very arduous business that people of this day would involve themselves in. This is not like, you know, I wouldn't even know how to put it in a modern context. Oh, yeah, you know, I also, you know, make linen and dye from flax. I I mean, you know, that, that's like saying I have two full-time businesses that I run. Uh, she's very industrious in this. It would seem, right, that her being a prostitute is perhaps fading from her present form of business. Uh, you know, the time involved with what's being described of laying these stalks of flax. So flax was commonly used and is even used today to make rope and in particular fabric. You can still find fabric that's made 
from flax. So they take the stalk and they soak it for days and you have to keep turning the flax so that it doesn't rot. A very specific method of saturating it. And once it's very swollen, then they take all of that stalk out and they have to lay all of the strands out very carefully so that as it dries, it will split open. If you just lay all of this flax in a heap, it's going to mildew. And all of your effort is going to be lost. So the idea here of what's being described, you, you don't do this with, with the pretense of, <clears throat> I'm going to go through this massive effort just to get, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> some flax for myself. <coughs> it's not something you would do just for your own household. There's so much effort involved that it wouldn't be worth your time. You would exhaust yourself <coughs> for a very small amount. So this is the idea that she's preparing this flax in order to either supply those that make fabric <coughs> or she's a supplier of the fabric herself. The uh, scarlet cord that you're probably familiar with from this is part of this process. So I'll just give a brief explanation. The stalks split open. They have to very carefully then spread open the stalk and remove the strand of flax that's inside. There, there are several or a few. Remove all of those out. And then they weave them together or spin them together depending on their process. The... the um, Yarn, the strand, the fabric that is produced is incredibly durable. Uh, so people prefer this, but it's the sort of thing that anything that is made from flax is at least two times more expensive. So I don't you know how to describe that. If you would normally buy a high quality pair of pants at $35, I'm just throwing a number out there, these would be. 70 or 80 dollars made from flax the effort that's gone in and then the durability of the fabric is really pretty incredible so this woman is engaged in an industry that's very labor intensive a lot of attention a lot of business is involved she's she's having to sell this meaning finding buyers for it, right? Because you're talking about a specific clientele that are going to want this. This is not your average Walmart fabric that, that, that I would buy. This, this is a specific clientele that she's preparing all of this for. Laid an order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the forts. As soon as they, uh, those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. A couple of things to consider within this, right? You have here, we've talked about the fact that in an English sense, if we were to literally go from the Greek language to English, then Jesus' name would actually be Joshua. Okay, uh, Here, this is what uh, Bible teachers commonly refer to as the first Joshua. When you get to Jesus, you have the second Joshua. This Joshua leads 
the nation of Israel into the promises of God. The second Joshua brings the church and really all believers into the promises of God. Interesting that here, those that are sent out by the first Joshua are welcomed in by a prostitute. Those that are sent out by the second uh, Joshua are also welcomed in by the prostitutes and the publicans and the sinners is who welcome them in. Consider Matthew chapter 21, verse 31. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They said to him, the first Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Uh, you know, we, we oftentimes think of ourselves as some elevated group of people because we're Christians. And in the end, the reason that we're believers is because we are losers. You know, people don't like that. Uh, there's an old song written by Larry Norman that says, Jesus is for losers. You know, because we're all losers. We were the ones, and if you get honest about who you are and where you are, then you find that the king of all will actually embrace you and accept you. It's a remarkable picture that's being painted for us here. I would also like to point out Matthew chapter 1. I should pause before I give that reference. There are those that teach that, that uh, Rahab was not, in fact, a prostitute, that she was simply an innkeeper and that people could rent rooms from her. Well, uh, that is uh, the Hebrew word is possible to translate that that way. But she is twice referenced in the New Testament and both times the assignment to prostitute is, forgive the phraseology, but she's a sex worker. Okay, The New Testament makes no mistake about what business this woman was engaged in. Again, this idea of uh, being, a, she's already a believer and changes have started to take place in her life. Matthew chapter 1 gives us the genealogy of Jesus Christ, his family tree, and uh, Rahab is part of that. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. Right? I, I don't mean to generalize things, but usually... Women who have been abused as a sexual object in this industry are embittered at men and often want nothing to do with the institution of marriage. She has a massive change of heart, marries Solomon, and has Boaz as her son. Now, Boaz... Uh, also, you should be familiar with, right? Begot Obed by Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess who the nation of Israel uh, was totally rejecting of them as a people. Uh, consider that uh, Boaz, raised by Rahab, was probably taught some very powerful lessons about embracing and accepting people regardless of their background to the point where he marries Ruth and uh, they give birth to Obed, 
Obed Jesse continue down through to Jesus' family line. Back in Joshua chapter 2, looking at verse 8. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, and here is the confession of a believer, I know that the Lord has given you the land. We should you know, send this verse over to the Middle East now and you know, settle a lot of the arguments that are going on. Uh, the Lord is giving you this land, and the terror of you has fallen on us. She collectively, at least for the city of Jericho, the way it's worded, the entirety of Canaan, Canaan is making the confession that we all know that this country belongs to you and we're completely afraid of you and the God that you serve. Terror of you has fallen on us and that all, notice that one word, the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, right? Forty years ago, we heard about God's conquest of the Egyptians and the parting of the Red Sea and your deliverance out of that. Now, now think about this, you guys. Uh, these communities are not isolated to themselves, Right? They do business one with one another. There are travelers that go between these communities. Egypt is so prominent in this entire region that surely Egyptians have come to Jericho, many of them at a time, on many different occasions. Word has come to the people of Jericho of the ten plagues that came upon the land of Egypt. And if you've never examined it before, each one of the plagues was focused on the false gods that the Egyptians worshipped. Uh, you worship frogs? Well, how about I send you frogs? You, you literally worship in, insects? Uh, how about I send you insects? You worship the Nile? You worship Ra? How about I send you a plague that's associated with each one of these things that you worship? You know, there's a powerful lesson for each of us in that sometimes as those things that we depend upon so strongly begin to be problematic in our lives. If you listen closely, sometimes the Lord is saying, you don't actually depend upon that thing, you depend upon me. And he's trying to teach us the process of letting go of whatever materialistic thing we're hung up on and to wait upon him and worship him. So they have for 40 years known that the Israelites were coming to them, how the Lord dried up the Red Sea. Now, I want you to notice, right, several times in the scripture here being one of those occasions, it's the Red Sea, not the Reed Sea. There are false teachers that try to say, sure, the Israelites fled out of Egypt, but they didn't cross the Red Sea. That would have been impossible. It's hundreds of feet deep. They crossed a marshy area just above the Red Sea, known as the Reed Sea. And it's, you know, generally speaking, at its deepest point, about 18 inches. Some of it's only like six inches. You can wade right across. And if 
as it says in the scripture, God caused this great wind to blow, then it probably blew the water back to, you know, a shallow depth of three or four inches. And the people of Israel were able to just march across the reeds. No miracle involved. It's just them wading through this area, which leaves you with another very difficult problem, right? The entire Egyptian army drowned in the Reed Sea. I mean, like, are they the dumbest army in the world? You know, just lay themselves down with their horses until everybody sucked in enough water that they're all dead. It was the Red Sea. And we get the confirmation repeatedly. Uh, there's a nice documentary where they have done diving expeditions into the Red Sea, and they have found the axles and the four sp or the three-spoked wheels of the, the Egyptian chariots that were only used during the time that Israel was enslaved to Egypt. The, the Egyptian army was drowned in the Red Sea, and it terrified these people as they waited. So uh, she's taken them up, uh, given them this place, makes this confession, uh, what you did not did to the two kings of the Amorites. So we were worried about the Red Sea for uh, when you came out of Egypt and also what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. That's a recent history who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. We were morally, emotionally defeated as soon as it 40 years ago 40 years ago you guys were ready to give up we've been wandering around in the desert dying for 40 years if only they had come and followed our hearts melted neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you for the lord your god he is god in heaven above and on earth beneath you have to understand what a confession that is for this woman, because especially Jericho, but an entirety of Canaan has a pagan concept of gods. Like if you dwell in the mountains, then you worship the God of the mountain and the God of the mountains defends you. And if you're dumb enough to get your army together and come down here on the plains and try to fight us, we worship the God of the plains, so we have home court advantage. You're going to get trounced, because your gods can't come down out of the mountains. You know, if you are a land-based people and worship the gods of the mountains and the plains, and we're a seafaring people and we worship the gods of the sea, if you try to come out in ships and attack us, our God is going to throttle you. There's, there's nothing you can do. She's making this confession... The God of Israel is the God of all heaven and all earth. He's a God of all things. She, she doesn't struggle with the concept uh, that you know Jesus in the New Testament says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Uh, she, she has no difficulty understanding there is one God, and he is the God over all things. So here, he's a God above heaven and of earth now. Therefore, I beg you. Swear to me by the Lord, right? Not heaven, not earth, not money, not gods of the earth. Swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, 
and all they have and deliver our lives from death. Again, this idea that she is a completely committed believer, the scriptures confirm in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31 says, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. She believed. Verse uh, 25, James chapter 2, verse 25, Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Uh, the the New Testament speaks of her as a believer and that it, that her faith is a genuine faith uh, that she demonstrated by the things that she did. Verse 14, so the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tells this business of ours, it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. There's a very strong uh, confession of faith in that God is going to give us the land. So when that happens, we'll bless you in the process. Verse 15, then she let them down by a rope. Now this rope, we, we don't have a good translation in the English regarding this. There are a couple of things here that are really quite remarkable. So this rope is the scarlet thread we're going to talk about as we move forward. She let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was in the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. A couple of things. Um, we know where Jericho was. Um, you can go to Israel to this day, and you can go right to Jericho. There have been at least three archaeological digs uh, done on the site. Um, the scripture, as we move forward, if you've not read this, the walls of Jericho fall down. There were two walls, an inner and an outer wall. The outer wall was actually slightly thinner, 10 feet thick. It was massive at the base, and it tapered towards the top, and the taper was leaned inward so that as the wall surrounded the city, it compressed against itself. It's a constant leaning inward. There was about 15 feet and then the second wall inside that, and that was even thicker and taller, some 15 feet at the top wide. Again, massive base tapering inward so that it compressed inward upon itself. All of the walls of Jericho, we have many occasions in history where walls, you know, cities have walls like this, and they're besieged by an invading army. And the invading army usually builds a massive siege mound up against the wall, and then they'll hook onto it with cable and ropes, and they use massive teams of oxen, and they'll pull out sections of the wall. And they're looking to just create some breaches in the wall so they can push the army through those openings and go in and slaughter everyone inside the city. Jericho's walls did not come down that way. They all came down at once. The inner and the outer wall fell at the same time, and they all fell outward. Okay, that's, that's not a Christian biblical opinion. That's what archaeology shows us without question. Right? 
fossilized underneath the wall is the vegetation. And they've been able to examine, right? So if you pull down one section of the wall, you're going to bury certain vegetation underneath that. And then you pull down another section of the wall. The growth period and the seasons are going to continue to change. And what's in bloom is going to be different than what was happening just weeks or days or months ago. The vegetation continues to change. And that's what we are able to do. We're able to look at the timelines and we're able to see when the sections of a wall or when the entirety of a wall of a city has come down. 10, 12 acres. So any of you that have purchased land know the size of plots of land. It's a big plot of land with a huge dual section of wall all the way around. Those walls fell outward. I mean, the only way that happens is if something pushes them down or something pulls them down. There was nothing in a military industrial scale of the day that was even capable of doing such a thing. No earthquake recorded. And even within earthquakes, when walls such as this do collapse, they collapse inward. They're designed, built, tapering inward so they compress. So even when they do fail and collapse, they collapse inward to the city. These all fell outward. The vegetation all the way around buried at exactly, exactly the same time. Uh, you know, people have argued it, and then archaeology has gone back for second dig and even further confirmation about the timeline and the specifics. The walls taken down all at the same time, all seemingly pushed from the inside to the out. <clears throat> and again, there's nothing in this history that's capable of pushing a 15-foot thick, and it's really closer to 30 feet at the base, and it tapers up to 15. There's nothing in history that's capable of doing that. The walls, according to the scripture, knocked down by God, and archaeology confirms that. So here, when we conquer the land, we're going to come in, we're going to have this rope, she says, they said to them, go to the mountain, she's saying, lest the pursuers meet you, Hide three days until the pursuers have returned. After Afterward, you may go your way. There is a foreshadowing in this, right, of uh, the, the rope we'll talk about in just a second, but the three days. Obviously, Christ was in the tomb for three days. So the message comes, and three days later, the deliverance begins. Hebrews 10, verse 7, the Lord said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will of God. If you search the scriptures with Jesus in mind, you're going to find Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. He's throughout the book. Colossians chapter 2, 17 says, these things are a shadow of what is to come. The substance is Christ. This entire book is about Jesus, Old Testament and New Testament. Back to Joshua chapter 2, looking at verse 17, <clears throat> just to wrap this out. It says, so the Lord said to her, we will be blameless. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I've totally lost my place here. I've got to get something else ready. So just a second. All right. All right. So, so the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear unless 
When we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. Whoever is with you in the house... His blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. So a couple of things. The scarlet cord that she has here is made from the flax. And the mineral that they used to turn it red was very hard to come by. They would crush it, and in huge iron kettles, once they had made the cord, they would braid that all together and coil it inside this iron kettle. They would then continue to cook down the uh, dye that was inside until all of the moisture was evaporated, and the dye from the mineral that had been powdered, which was in this thing, had concentrated into this scarlet cord, as it is described. Extremely valuable, okay? It was used to dye other clothing. So scarlet being the color of royalty, purple being the color of royalty, to dye your all of your garments, you would go to this woman and you would purchase a piece that was perhaps uh, six inches long, eight inches long. You would negotiate for inches. That would be cut off and given to you, and you could go home and put all of your clothes in this and dye all of your clothes red. Generally speaking, it's only the incredibly wealthy that are dyeing their clothes red and or purple. So she's a seller of red and purple dye that she's, acquiring for these people and now she's using this to lower the spies out of her house now there are a couple of things regarding this right inner and outer wall the way this is written is that her home spanned the walls so with that thought right because if she's lowering them down the outer wall the outside of her home has to reach all the way to the outer wall okay so when the attack comes, she's in one of the most vulnerable places because the walls are going to come down. Right? Think about what it takes to commit yourself to Christ. Right? You're going to lose everything. You're going to lose friends. You're going to lose family. You have the potential of losing a lot in order to follow Christ. What is what is the thing that you're trusting in? It is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. People don't understand that. Uh, what do you mean I'm trusting in Jesus' blood? You're guilty. I'm guilty of sin. That sin is going to condemn me to an eternity separated from God. The entirety of my faith is based on the fact that Jesus Christ is innocent and his shed blood is going to save me. His death is going to substitute for my death. This, this whole agreement is based upon this red cord. Scarlet thread, red cord, it's woven all through the scripture. It actually begins in Genesis at creation. 
the promise comes uh, that there will be enmity, hatred between the descendants of Satan and the seed, Jesus Christ, and that the seed will eventually crush the head of the serpent. Uh, Jesus, right there in Genesis, uh, begins and runs all the way through the scripture, all the way to the end. You have to, at some point, embrace the scarlet thread. That that's going to be your source of salvation. Jesus Christ shed blood from uh, the cross. In this situation, the statement that these spies make is very similar to what the nation of Israel is told when they have to leave out of Egypt, right? They have the Passover meal, and they're told, you share the Passover meal in the house, and anyone who's trusting in the Passover has to abide in that house. If you come out of that house, then what you're going to experience is death, right? The salvation that is provided for Jesus Christ is found in the church. You have to plant yourself in the body of Christ and allow for his salvation to deliver you. Even in something as simple as this occasion with the city of Jericho, Jesus Christ's salvation through his shed blood is seen. It's a remarkable picture that's being shown to us here. If you depart from the house, then your blood is on your own head. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the door of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. We will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. She sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord on the window. There is uh, an element to this of value lost. You didn't hang a scarlet thread, a scarlet cord like this out in the sunlight. It's going to fade and it's going to deteriorate. You keep it protected. You keep it in such a way so that it is preserved. She, she's risking great loss. Uh, you know, what we would think of as so valuable in our lives, if we'll sacrifice it to Christ, we gain life in the process. Then he said, according to your word, so be it. She sent them away. They departed. And she bound the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went to the mountain, stayed there three days until the pursuers returned, the men who had gone out looking for them. Pursuers sought them all along the way, but they did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountains, crossed over. They came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. It's a tragic thing, in a way, to consider that from the border of Egypt to where they're about to cross the Jordan River is an 11-day march. And they've spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness dying when the people of this land were ready to give up when they departed from Egypt. Um, confrontational encouragement to you again this morning is 
what the Lord has promised us, we really want to hold to. We can spend a lot of time wandering around and, and let's be blunt, dying, going through loss, experiencing terrible things. We can waste a lot of time. You're so much better off to read what the Lord recorded in his scripture and to trust it wholeheartedly. Now, Rahab's confession is a remarkable one about her worship of God. The fact that she's seemingly already in the process of transitioning out of her sinful lifestyle into a very industrious, business-like behavior. Uh, You know, you don't conduct yourself in that level of business and also run a brothel. (laughs) She's, She's moving on already. She's already in the process of being delivered. Many of us have that experience where we aren't in the house, let's say, in the church, growing and being taught. Changes have already begun in our heart. But we haven't read the word. We haven't heard the encouragement of the body of Christ. So we don't grab a hold completely. We continue in the things of the world. We continue in our sinfulness. Once we walk in these doors and we sit down and we begin to be taught, you can have the sense of, I'm going to lose a great deal here. You know, they're saying I can't do this. They're saying I can't. I'm going to lose. Let me just be clear, right? Rahab may have lost the entire value of the scarlet cord that was hung out her window, but she gained life in the process. She she gained worship in the process. Whatever we have to let go of that is of the world, you know, it is loss. But think about all that you gain in Christ. Uh, I. I tried to hang on to the world. I tried to hang on to certain friendships. I tried to hang on to things that I thought were so incredibly valuable. And as time passed, what I've come to learn is that all of those things were costing me very dearly. And by letting go of them, that's where I found the great prosperity. You know, not wealth, not money, but I I found prosperity in my soul and letting go of all of those things. I think if you talk to any honest believer, they're going to tell you the same thing. That that what we hung on to, that we considered to be so valuable, that was of the world. Once we'd let go of it, we found such great abundance in Christ. The promises are here for us. What's been promised to Rahab belongs to us. We can have these things. As long as we're hanging on to the things of the world, all we're going to experience there is death, destruction, Pain, loss. Loss is what we're going to experience. Let the Lord bless your life. It does take great risk, right? You may be thinking in the process, my whole world's going to fall down. You know, my house is built across these two walls. In the end, uh, the Lord will deliver you. The Lord will bless you in the process. It takes a great deal of trust. To allow him to perform the work. She was looking at how the Lord had delivered those people through the Red Sea. She was looking at all the fights that they'd been through up until the recent one between Og and Bashan. If you look back through 
the pages of the scripture, you're going to see all of those same conflicts. And you're going to understand that the God who gave those people victory is the same God that's offering to give you and I victory. Amen. Let the Lord deliver you into his success. Well, we'll pick up with Joshua chapter 3 next week. Will you stand and we'll pray? There's a lot to be concerned with in the world around us. And I would just encourage you to understand that we're in the household of the Lord. We're fully protected by him. Um, things may get terrible all around us. There's, there's no cause for panic. There's no cause. right? Our, our God is on the throne. Where we don't have to be consumed with fear the way that the world is. I find it very timely that we've come to this place where now Joshua begins to enter the land and, and conquer those that oppose the faith and to see God's great victory wrought against them. I hope that it's a great encouragement to us all this morning. Amen. Amen. Father, please bless us. Help us to follow you, Lord. Help us to be men and women that sacrifice to you the things of the world, our sinful desires, that we could let go of what we need to let go of, that we could be unconcerned about whatever degree of loss might be there, that we would fix our eyes forward upon you and what you are promising. It's just so magnificent that Rahab, who may have had a luxurious life, in her sinful living prior to this, becomes part of your family tree. Lord, help us to be men and women that look to such things in our own lives, that as children of God, we would embrace and cling to that concept of, I'm in the family of God. Whatever loss we may give to you, sacrifice to following you, it would be replaced with your great love, your acceptance as your children. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.